You know, fellowship time is always an interesting time. I love watching it, you know, and and there's really not a certain certain start time, you know. Uh, Fellowship time, just, you know, it's a great time to just kind of linger and shake hands and talk to everybody. And uh, I was out at our National Support Center for FCA a couple of weeks ago, and it's out in Kansas City. And our president of FCA, he's a former NFL coach, and uh, we had a break, and, and I had some phone calls to, to return during that break, and so I was out, kind of out on the back deck of our office and, and making some phone calls, and I came in, and I was actually late when he started speaking, and he said, boy, it's a fine day. And I thought, yeah, it is a fine day. Well, long story short, in the NFL... When you walk into a, a team meeting and, and you're late, everybody in the NFL, all the, your teammates that, that on his team, they would go, boy, it's a fine day. It's a fine day. What would happen is if you walked in late, for every minute that you were late, it was $10,000. For every minute that you were late, it was a $10,000 fine. And so there weren't many guys late, but they always loved, that was the running joke when you walked in late, it was a fine day. I'm telling you, this week, I don't know about you guys, but man, this week flew by. It was a hot week, but boy, it flew by. Great week uh, for us. I know you, uh, you school kids, uh, sorry, but tomorrow you're back at the grind, right? Uh, and I don't think in Oconee County, I don't think schools have ever started on a Monday before. And so there were a lot of teachers and a lot of kids going, why did we start school on Monday and not on Thursday or Friday, but back at it tomorrow. Uh, I hope to encourage you this morning. I want to follow up last week's message as we talked about the church of Ephesus, right? And, and how that church on the outside was, was a picture-perfect church in the city of Ephesus. They had everything together. And it looked like from, from a, a bird's-eye view... They were doing everything right, that they were a great church, they were a thriving church, they were a wealthy church, and everything was great. But when Jesus Christ comes in and he begins to evaluate, he begins to look, take an internal look at the church, he has John write this letter to the church of Ephesus. And he says, you know what, things, you're doing some things great, you're, you're holding to the faith. You're testing those that that claim to be disciples or apostles. You're testing them only to find out that they're really not who they say they are. You're doing great from that aspect. But when it comes to your first love, me, Jesus, me, you've left me out. You've walked away from your first love. And so everything that you're doing, although it's, it's great, it's good, it really doesn't matter. Because you've left me out. And so today, we're going to be looking at a church, Church of Smyrna, in chapter 2. And in this church, we're going to see a little bit differently than we saw last week as, as Jesus kind of gave them a condemnation uh, a charge, uh, hey, this is what I have against you. Well, with the church of Smyrna, he doesn't have anything against them. He basically evaluates their church 
And he, he turns into an encouragement for them. And, and that's the letter, is an encouragement to them. And not a, hey, I have this against you. And so we've clarified already last week that John is actually pinning this letter, but through Jesus Christ as he's evaluated these churches. And so we're going to begin to read in chapter 2, starting with verse 8, this short letter to the church of Smyrna. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much again for the opportunity to be here today. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your church. And so God, we pray that through the reading of your word, through the studying of your word this morning, God, you will give us not necessarily a new perspective, but God, you'll bring clarity. Bring clarity to our hearts and minds on who you've called us to be as the church. And so God, we give you this time. Pray it's nothing that I say or do, but God, it's solely through the influence of your Holy Spirit. God, so we pray, come, meet with us, speak to us, challenge us and change us, God. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. You know, I look at this church and and I, I study this church. I study the place. I study the city. And and it's amazing as you look at the place, Smyrna, you, you look at the place and, and you would think, people would look and they would go during this time, why would you want to plant a church right there? You know, you, you look in Oconee County, you look in Westminster, and, and I tell people all the time, you look at our association and there's 60 or so churches just within our association. And yet there are church plants going up everywhere. And it leads some people to go and think, well, gosh, there's a church right around the corner. Why do you want to plant another church? Well, in, in this case, in Smyrna, that, that was not the case. I, I, I would like to think that when you read and you study about this place and you see all the pagan worship 
and, and the, the tribulation and trials that the people, the Christians were facing then, the thought of many people, including Paul who planted this church, you would think Paul would go, not there. We'll move on to the next city. Not there. Which leads me to this question. So often in our lives, when, when difficulties come, when persecution comes, so often in our lives, we want to go, God, why me? You been there? You ever asked that question? When, when persecution strikes? When, when trials strike? You back up and you look at the situation and you go, God, why me? And it's, it's interesting, Mark had this song prepared, and I know that he prepared this many weeks ago. What song do you sing? Why do you sing? You know, this, this thought of, of this question, why me? It's funny how it came about. Sandra had taped a movie a couple of weeks ago, and I'd heard about it, but we had never seen it. And it's something, we bought a zoo or something like that. Anyway, it's about a dad that he, he loses his wife and, and he has a son and a daughter. And for some reason, they, they buy a zoo. Like they go and they look at a house. And, and as they're looking at the house, they hear animals in the background, like zoo animals in the background. And the realtor has to tell them, this is a zoo. For most people, you walk into the house and you hear that and the realtor tells you that and you go, you know what, never mind. I'll look somewhere else. Not interested. But he ends up buying this zoo and revitalizing it. And the, the head zookeeper ends up, it's, it's somewhere during the movie, it was hard to follow, okay? At some point in the movie, she asked him, and this is where I, it clicked with me. She said, but why did you buy this zoo? You, you, you don't have any uh, experience with, with a zoo. Why did you buy this, this zoo? And without hesitation, he went, but why not? And I went, ah, oh, that's it. You know, as Paul was traveling, as he was doing ministry, you know that, that he was in Smyrna and he did ministry there. I have to think that even though people were going, there's no way we'll ever plant a church here. There's no way there'll ever be a church here with all of the wickedness, all of the wrongdoings that were going on here. There's no way there will ever be a church in Smyrna. And Paul is saying, why not? Why not? You know, what if in our own personal lives here in Westminster, South Carolina, we begin to look at our lives in that form? Instead of going, God... Why me? Why me? Listen, I remember when I graduated from high school saying, I want to get as far away from here as I possibly can and I never want to come back. But guess what? I'm back. I'm back. And I, I wanted to say, God, why, why me? Why am I coming back? Why did you place me here? Why did you give me such a passion and a burden for this place, the place that I wanted to get so far away from? You see, I had to get to this place where I realized it's, it's, it's not about me. And instead of asking this question, God, why me? It's now become, God, 
Why not me? You see, the, the church of Smyrna was, was in a, a very bad place. You look at it on the surface in modern day Turkey and you go, there's no way a church could ever thrive there. There's no way a church could ever thrive there. You see, they had a seizure called Domitian at that time. And, and here's the quote that I found by, by one man who was eventually martyred, killed because of his faith, for his faith. He simply described Domitian, the Caesar at that time of the Roman Empire, as this. A murderous dictator. That was it. A murderous dictator. Why would you want to plant a church in a place where Christians were going to proclaim Christ and because of that, eventually lose their lives? You see, in in Smyrna, during the, the Roman Empire, they were required to burn sacrifices, incense, and bow down before Caesar. That was a requirement. And you went to the temple and you did that, and because of that, you were, you were given a certificate. Basically, a certificate of completion, saying that such and such has, has done their duty that year, and they're given a free pass for the next year because they have, they have surrendered themselves to the authority of, of Caesar. And so you, you kept that certificate with you, you hung it in your house, you did whatever you had to do to make sure that it was visible and it was known, or the Roman government would have you killed. Why would you ever want to plant a church in a place like that? It's an interesting question to ponder. Why? Why? You know, so I also found this interesting about Smyrna. It comes from part of the word myrrh, right? And we know in reading the Gospels, the New Testament, when Jesus was born, myrrh and frankincense were brought to Jesus, right? And, and myrrh was, was part of a tree. It was, it was yielded from a tree, and, and it gave off a, a fragrance. It's interesting that that's tied to the life of Jesus. Because in order to yield that fragrance, in order to have that aroma of that myrrh, guess what had to happen? That tree had to die. That tree had to be crushed in order for that fragrance, that aroma, to come out. It's interesting, right? Smyrna. A place where it gets its root word from a fragrance. But in order for that fragrance to be yielded, it had to be crushed. It had to be killed. You see, so we look at the church of Smyrna and we go, what's the point? All the persecution, all the tribulation and the trials that they went through, what's the point? You know, I have to think that as Paul was traveling through, through the the leading of the Spirit, he saw Smyrna and said, you know what, why not? 
Why not? Paul was an intelligent man. He was a humble man. But he went, why not? If God can do the work in my life that he's done, there's no question he can do a great work here in this great city. It was a beautiful city, a beautiful place. But to the common person, it wasn't the place for the church. But to Paul, it was. Well, then we move to the people. We look at the people, and that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning, looking at the people of Smyrna. You see in, in verse 9, John writes, Lord speaking, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. And he goes on to tell them, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Satan's going to test you. You're going to be thrown into jail. You're going to be persecuted. Even to the point that you might die. But stand strong. Stand your ground. Here's the amazing thing about the people of Smyrna. They were persecuted, but yet... They're pure. They were persecuted, but yet their faith was made stronger. They were persecuted and deprived. They were slaves, and yet they were spiritually rich. I mean, I, I often wonder when I study and prepare does this really stick? Does this really stick? Because we're, we're able every single week, every single day, we're able to get up, we're able to read our Bibles, we're able to pray, we're able to spend time with God openly, without persecution. And yet so often we take that for granted. But you see, the people of Smyrna had it the exact opposite. It was because of their faith, it was because of their loyalty to Jesus Christ that they were being persecuted. That daily, they were fearful of losing their life. And I often wonder, does it really stick? You know, Matthew 5.10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do we really know what that means? You know, I talked about last week about not throwing that word around busy. Because we're all busy, right? We're all busy. But you know, another word that we throw around a lot is blessed. I'm, I'm blessed. What, what does that really mean? What does that really mean? What does blessed really mean? mean because if we listen to the words of Jesus he says persecution is a blessing but you know i find it funny the hypocrites they don't want persecution the average churchgoer 
doesn't want persecution. You know, when the choir was singing that song, I was thinking, you know, why is it that I sing the song that I sing? You know, for, for most people, they're going to sing that song when life is great, right? And, 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 and they have no trials or tribulations in their life. But as soon as those things hit, they forget about everything. They forget about all of that stuff. And, and their question becomes, God, why me now? Instead of saying, God, why not me? You see, that's what we need to be preparing ourselves for, is why not me? Instead of, God, why me? I wrote this down. Fake Christians, and we have them. We have them here. We have them out there. Fake Christians don't want the pain or the strain. The minute trials and persecution hit their lives, they tuck and run. If you're tucking and running when, per- when persecution and trials hit your life, guess what? You have a faith issue. It's not an issue with me. It's not an issue with the church. It's a faith issue. Listen to what Paul writes to Timothy. And, and I found this interesting. One translation said, Those that want to live a godly life will be persecuted. Those that want to live a godly life will be persecuted. When's the last time you were persecuted? For His name's sake. When's the last time you were persecuted for His name's sake? So it led me to this question. Why were they persecuted? Two reasons. They were forced to worship the emperor, the ruler, the Roman government, Caesar. And then they were surrounded by pagan and idol worshipers. And on top of all of that, they were surrounded by Jews who hated Jesus Christ, who hated the church, who would stop at nothing to crush and destroy the church. You know, it's interesting. Jesus says, I know about the slander of those who say they're Jews, but are not. But our synagogue of Satan, holy cow. I mean, you want to talk about getting hit in the face? These, these were religious men that believed the Old Testament law, but they wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And Jesus went so far as to say, they are a synagogue of Satan. You see, because they rejected Jesus Christ. And and we have to understand that rejection of Jesus Christ is acceptance of Satan. You understand that? There's no middle ground. We're going to get to a letter 
where it talks about being hot or cold. There's no middle ground. There's no lukewarmness here. If you simply reject who Jesus Christ is, you're simply accepting who Satan is. And that's where the Jews were, and Jesus called them out and told them like it was. You know, the sad thing is, we have people in our churches today that are right there in that same boat. We have people today all over the world. They claim to know Jesus. They claim to have accepted Jesus. But through their lives, we don't see it. Now, ultimately, we're not the judge. Jesus himself is that judge. But we're also called to show those fruits of the Spirit in our walk with Christ. You know, the sad thing is, it's those people that often turn people away from church. You know, we talked last week about people driving by our church and and wondering what their perception of our church is. Have you ever heard anybody tell you, I'm not going to that church because they're a bunch of hypocrites? Had that statement? I've never had anybody say that about this church, but I've heard people say that about other churches. You see, that's the biggest turnoff for non-Christians in attending any church, is they'll say they're a bunch of hypocrites. Because we say out there that we believe in Christ, that we're living for Christ, but the example that we're setting isn't so. And you see the people of Smyrna, yet they were poor, they were rich. Yet they were persecuted, and by the world's terms, by the Roman government, they were defeated, they were victorious. You see, on the outside, it didn't look good. On the outside, it was bad. But yet on the inside... They were persevering. They were fighting. They were standing up for their faith. There's something to learn here, church, from the church of Smyrna. That no matter what you've gone through, no matter what you've faced as a church and as an individual, we're called to be an example of who Jesus Christ is. No matter... The persecution. No matter the trials that we face. It's those things that define who we are as a church. And if every time trials and persecution come our way and we tuck our heads and we want to run, guess what? The world, Satan, gets the victory. So not only is this a letter to a real church back in 90 AD or so, this is a letter to the real church today to say, you know what, enough's enough. I know the world's wicked. I know the world's bad. I know that the world is trying to influence the direction of the church. But at some point, the church has to step up and stand our ground. 
You know what? In the church's vocabulary, there's one word that should not exist, and that's quit. I don't like that word. I don't use that word. I'm going to use it today. That word, quit. I'm so thankful that that was a, a word instilled in my life. That my daddy never let me quit anything. Y'all didn't know this about me. I'm not musically talented, okay? At all. But for some unknown, I have no idea why I did this. I think we had to, all right? But when I got to middle school, I'd never played an instrument in my life, okay? Ever. Got into middle school, and we had to pick either music, singing, which I don't do well, so that was out, chorus, or band. All right, so the first one was out, so it was either cor- uh, uh, strings, sorry, strings, or band. I don't know, I flipped a coin, I don't know, whatever. Anyway, I picked strings, okay? Why, I couldn't tell you, but I picked strings, and I played the cello. You know, that big thing you sit and you're, you know. That was pretty good. All right, my sixth and seventh grade year. And then my eighth grade year, I said, you know, never mind, I'm, I'm done with that. And I went on to other things. But for two years, I played the cello. And every year, or my sixth grade year, I started it and could not stand it. I mean, I, I just despised it. But I couldn't quit my seventh grade year, I went back and did it one more year. And I couldn't stand it. But I'll never forget the conversation. My daddy told me, he said, Mac, you started it. You're going to finish it. You're going to finish it. And the next year, if you don't want to take it, that's fine. You see, as a church, so often we get persecuted. Individually, personally, we get persecuted. And the easiest thing for us to say is, you know what, I quit, I'm done. It's not worth it. You know, we don't even compare to the church of Smyrna and the persecution that they endured. And at no point did that church say, you know what, that's enough. We've been persecuted enough, we're done. You know what? One of their great disciples, apostles, you can Google him if you want to. Polycarp was his name. He died. He was martyred for his faiths. He went into the Colosseum. The Roman emperor gave him an opportunity to renounce Christ. Gave him one last chance. And at 86 years old, history says at 86 years old, he stood in that Colosseum with the Jews and the Romans ready to flog him, burn him, and kill him. And he said, you know what? In 86 years, he's never left me. He's never failed me. I'm not going to do it now. Kill me if you must. And so they had this bed prepared, and they were going to burn him. They had the wood under, and the Jews and the Romans brought the wood to stick under the bed to have him burned. And he laid down, and they went to nail him to the bed, and he said, you know what? You don't have to nail me down. My Lord will see me through this. So they didn't nail him down. And the history says that once they started the fire, all of a sudden the fire just kind of engulfed him, was surrounded him in a circle. 
but the flame never touched him. The flame never touched him. And so the Roman rulers were furious. They sent one of their men over with a spear and they stabbed him and killed him. This was a man that for 86 years endured the persecution, endured the trials of what it meant to truly be a Christian, a Christ follower, never wavered. He never stopped. He never quit. You know, this church was very young. And it would have been very easy for the people at that time to say, you know what? Because we're enslaved, because we're being persecuted, let's just stop. Let's just shut the doors. You know, this church is going to celebrate 183 years in a couple of weeks. 183 years. What can be said about this church in those 183 years? I thought it was interesting. I found a story. I'm a John MacArthur fan. Some of you might like him. Some of you might like to listen to him. I like John MacArthur. He's a a great theologian, I think biblically sound. And I found this the other day, and I want to read it to you. He was preaching a message, and they'd given the invitation. And he was standing down front, and he says this. I'll never forget standing down in the front after a service, doing the invitation and having a pastor from the Soviet Union come up to me. He said, he grabbed my hand, and this is what he said. I've read your material in Russian, and I've come here, and I've experienced your church today, and I just want to tell you, listen to this, I just want to tell you, I don't know how you can possibly endure being a pastor in the United States. To that, John MacArthur said, What do you mean? The Russian pastor said, I could never be a pastor here. It's so much easier in the Soviet Union. John MacArthur said, Why do you say that? Because your people are caught up in the world and material things and the comfort of those things. How can you ever find true commitment as a pastor? And he said, I would far rather pastor a church in the Soviet Union than the United States. And he said this at the end. He said, I'd rather be, I guess, a pastor of a poor, rich church than a rich, poor church. Hmm. You see, church, we can have all the money in the world, we can have all the facilities. I mean, our our building team, property and space team has said, we can build tomorrow. We can have all the facilities in the world. But you know what? If we leave Jesus out of the center of it, we become nothing more than a community center. Just being honest. Being honest. 
So where do we go from all of this? You know why the church of Smyrna was being persecuted? Because they were living their faith out. They were living their faith in such a way that people noticed they were Christ followers. Do people notice Christ in you? Are people asking you every single day, why is it that you do what you do? Why is it that you believe what you believe? If they're not asking you those questions, can I go ahead and tell you, you're probably not living your faith out. Because you, you should be living, I should be living in such a way that people are stopping us and saying, what is different about you? Tell me about this Jesus. If we're not doing that, then we're not being persecuted. Listen, the gospel is offensive. Y'all know that. Everywhere you go, they don't want any mention of who Jesus Christ is. It's offensive. You know why? Because it's truth. It's truth. And people don't like the truth. We like to be told what we want to hear. We know that's what Jesus does in the seven letters to the seven churches. He tells them what they don't want to hear. He tells them the truth. And I'm telling you the truth. If we're not living our faith out, we're not being persecuted. Therefore, we can't relate to the church of Smyrna. And if we're not relating to the church of Smyrna, guess what? We're just a rich church with a poor faith. And I don't want to be a part of a church that's rich but has a poor faith. There's always a promise. There's always an ending. And we're closing. I found these two quotes. It says, Strong people don't put others down. They lift them up. The other one said, My past has not defined me, destroyed me, deterred me, or defeated me. It's only strengthened me. I believe that was the mindset, the perspective of the church of Smyrna. But here's what Jesus says. He says, Be faithful even unto death, and I'll give you life as your victor's crown. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Listen to me. Without Jesus... You're headed for an eternal hell that's real. To say that it's torment and torture is an understatement. But that's what it means. That's what it is. That without Jesus Christ, you have accepted Satan. You have accepted eternal hell. But Jesus tells this church, as a persecuted church, guess what? Even though you're going through those trials and those persecutions, you're going to be okay. Because your crown rests in heaven. And you don't have to worry about that second death, that death 
in, eternal, in the eternal lake of fire. You don't have to worry about that. Because your eternity is secure. It's taken care of. Church, before we can go out there and proclaim Jesus Christ and be the church, we've got we to make sure that we know the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the author and the finisher of our faith. We've got to make sure that we know Him right here. Because if we don't know Him right here, we sure can't proclaim Him out there. And when those trials and those persecutions come our way, it's our instinct, we're going to run. But knowing Jesus, having Jesus, following Jesus, living for Jesus, guess what? When those things come, we're going to be able to show the world. We're going to be able to show the lost. Those that that don't know Jesus, we're going to be able to show them who Jesus really is in our lives. Is it easy? No. Remember. Remember what Paul told Timothy. If you want to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. You will be persecuted. There's no way around it. You will be persecuted. But I'm going to tell you what. A life with Jesus, with that persecution, is far greater than a life without Jesus. And so I invite you this morning, as Mark comes, he's going to lead us in a song of, of invitation. I just want to invite you to bow your heads right now. And let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the challenge that lies within it. I thank you for the example in the church of Smyrna that, that set the example, that set the stage. God, that lived their faith out to show the church today, the modern day church today, that even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of trials, God, we can endure We can fly the banner of Jesus Christ. And God, know that at the end of the day, with all the persecution and the trials, with all the threats of of our lives maybe being taken, God, we know that the victory is ours. And so God, right now, I pray I pray your spirit would move. Whether they come to the foot of the altar or not, God, I pray that you would move in the hearts and lives of our people. We thank you for this opportunity, God. Pray you would come, God, and move among us. In and out, through the aisles. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 436.